welcome to this BMJ podcast about well-being. Today we're talking about addictive behaviours and how they may have changed during the lockdown. I'm Abby Rimmer, careers editor at the BMJ with an interest in doctors' well-being. And I'm Kat Chatfield, a trained GP with an interest in quality improvement and patient safety. Abby and I co-lead the BMJ's campaign on well-being, which is obviously really important for everybody right now. Today we're going to be talking to a psychiatrist and psychotherapist who has worked extensively with medical professionals in this area and had some personal experiences to share. So Abby, I was reading the other day that alcohol sales have massively gone up during lockdown and we're probably all sitting at home drinking endless bottles of wine. (laughs) What's been your experience for how lockdown's affected you? I mean, personally, I would say when lockdown started, I was rewarding myself because I was having quite a busy, stressful time at work. And I would have, you know, a drink every night of the week. But sort of two weeks in, I realised that that probably wasn't a long term um, (laughs) solution. So I've cut back and gone back to my normal only drinking at the weekends. But I have partly replaced that by chocolate and you know other things that I wouldn't normally do just because I feel like well I'm at home and I've worked really hard and why shouldn't I so I'll be interested to hear from our guests you know whether or not that's okay and it'll go back to normal when we leave lockdown or whether that's something I should be worried about. Yeah I think for me this kind of a narrowing of um, of options right so before mm. you know if I wanted to kind of perk myself up at the end of the day I might ring someone and say let's meet up or I might say oh hey let's go to the cinema um so there were sort of options to kind of reward yourself and and give I guess um find pleasure do you know um that sounds weird finding pleasure but anyway there there were options to sort of um you know entertain yourself and relieve the stress of whatever you were doing at work um but those options in lockdown are so limited um you know is it another series on netflix or is it a glass of wine or a bar of chocolate or possibly is it you know a long run to get out of that feeling of being trapped in the house so there's all these kind of behaviors that have really changed um and as you said abby it's when those behaviors become helpful and you know a way of coping with this hugely stressful situation or when they become actually things that are just adding stress um into what's already um quite toxic absolutely well i'm really pleased that we're going to have on the podcast someone who knows all about this Hello, my name is Dr. Caroline Walker and I am an NHS-based psychiatrist and therapist and I specialise in the well-being of doctors. Thank you so much, Caroline. Um, So the topic that we want to cover today is addiction. But when we talk about addiction, what exactly are we covering there? Is it just alcohol misuse? No, I mean, actually, addiction can cover any uh, substance or any behaviour, in fact, that we might actually see as a healthy substance or behaviour to use, but but it's being used in an unhealthy way. So um, you can be addicted to caffeine, you know, and your coffee and tea and your Diet Cokes. Um, you can be addicted to alcohol, as you say, or a range of drugs, cannabis, uh, heroin, crystal meth, all those sort of harder class A drugs. Um, you could be addicted to um, behaviours like gambling or, or sex or things like that. So, no, it's really um, applies across the board to, to really any substance or abuse that's used in an unhealthy way. And how much of a problem is addiction among doctors? 
Oh, it's a really big problem. I mean, it, we've got higher levels of addiction among doctors than in the general population. Um, and I think um, that's even the ones that we know about. And there's such a high level of stigma around addiction in doctors still. I think there's a lot of it sort of hidden away from view that, that we don't see. So, yeah, it's a big, big problem. Why do you think there's so much stigma among clinicians? Or is it a widespread society issue? I think it's a wider issue. I think it's the sort of final taboo in mental health. You know, as mental health um, and mental illness is being discussed more broadly and stigmas reducing around, you know, things like depression or anxiety or even, you know, more severe illnesses like bipolar disorder, you know, they're being talked about more and more. But, but still, there's something about addiction that's still incredibly shameful and very hidden from view. And and I think that's partly to do with the illness itself. You know, it's a, it's a very, it can feel um, a really very dark and lonely place to be when you're in the grips of an addiction to a substance or a behaviour. And Caroline, I think you have experience of addiction yourself. I was wondering if you'd mind telling us a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So so I would consider myself to be what you'd call a cross addict. So I'm actually addicted to um, a number of different things, um, which is very, very common in addiction, actually. It's rare to find somebody who's just got one substance or one behaviour that they would be addicted to. I'd say my primary one is um, alcohol. So I would consider myself to be an alcoholic and I haven't had a drink now for about five and a half years. Um, been in um, recovery around my alcoholism for, for a while now. Um, but yeah, I can kind of find myself um, behaving in quite an addicted way around lots of things um, like work, for example, as a very very common addiction amongst doctors, lots and lots of work addiction out there um, and amongst other healthcare professionals. Um, also exercise, you know, there was a time in my life when I really um, exercised very addictively. So really impacting for me around my mental health without me realising it. So I was really getting quite um, quite frequent episodes of depression um, and, and really struggling with my self-esteem as well throughout medical school. And then when I became a doctor, it just carried on, you know, it was work hard and play hard, you know, so I was very fortunate that I never, um, my alcoholism didn't um, progress to me drinking during the day or being drunk at work, but it, it absolutely filled my nights and certainly caused me to be very hungover at work and miss some shifts. Um, and yeah, I think it just, again, it was normalised, you know, as a junior doctor that that's what a lot of people did. Um and it wasn't for me until later in my sort of mid to late 20s that I really started to see the detrimental effects and really started to um, accept that I had a problem. But even then, it took me years to come to terms with that. And it wasn't until my early 30s that I finally put down put down the alcohol. And how was it that you tackled that addiction? That must have been a really difficult thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy, I won't lie, but it, I didn't do it on my own. And I think that's the number one thing I would say to anybody out there who is struggling and wondering whether they have an addiction or a problem with a substance or behaviour that, you know, don't do this on your own. Um, there are so many people out there who have struggled and who have got free of their addictions that, you know, with their support and help on your side, um, it's so much easier. So that really helped me to reduce the shame and the stigma and particularly sharing with other doctors who were struggling. So there's a wonderful group called the British Doctors and Dentists Group, which um, is it's kind of based on the premise of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and it, but it's for any doctors and dentists in, in the UK who have um, addiction problems. And um, on their website, um, if you go to bddg.org.uk, I think it is, or if you just pop into Google, um, 
they uh, they talk about doctors with problems with alcohol and drugs, but actually there's a range of um, addiction problems there that you'll hear at those meetings from doctors, from work addiction to exercise addiction to, you know, drugs to alcohol to all sorts of things. So that was really helpful because talking to other doctors with addictions really reduced the shame and the stigma and and other addicts in general. It just helped me to see that I wasn't alone. This wasn't my fault. This was something, an illness that I was struggling with and that there was help out there that I could get to become free of those addictions. Thanks so much, Caroline. That's, it must be, well, it's really nice to hear someone speaking so openly about their experience. And I'm sure there'll be people out there listening, thinking, wow, this is me. <laughs> I know certainly I'm thinking, oh my gosh, medical school is just completely insane. Um, you know, the reputation and the culture among medics as a tribe compared to other groups of students around kind of excess it's really a bit frightening uh, and that may well have changed of course I am 20 years out of date um, anyway so what I wanted to talk to you about was this when this behavior especially I think probably in our society um, alcohol you know drinking alcohol becomes so normalized um, how do you recognize um, in yourself that this is becoming a problematic or a dependent behavior as opposed to a, you know a, a reasonable coping strategy Quite often for, for doctors and healthcare professionals in particular, they will actually have a fairly socially acceptable way of drinking. So they will perhaps, for example, drink um, a bottle of wine of an evening. Um, and that seemed to be, it's not that they're sitting there on a park bench drinking whiskey out of a brown bag, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, but what happens is that tends to just creep up. So that bottle of wine that you might share between two of you starts to become one that you might have on your own. Um, or you start to have two bottles or three and it just creeps up and up and up. And you'll start to notice that you're perhaps getting the physical side effects of that. So maybe um, more um, your sleep's disturbed, perhaps you're feeling a bit worse for wear the next day um, and, and as you start to notice that it can be a really slow process but over a period of a few weeks or months suddenly you can find yourself having gone from being someone that drinks you know a G&T at the weekend and a glass of wine once a week to being someone that's drinking every single night and I think if you're at that stage at the moment I would say don't panic it's probably quite normal a lot of people are doing that but just notice it and maybe just try to gently start to ease it back um, because the danger is if you keep going in that, that place for long enough, um, then the physical sort of addiction process can really start to take hold and it can become harder and harder to stop. Have you got any particular practical tips for people around how they might be able to stop those behaviours? I'm just imagining if maybe, you know, you're working and your work is particularly stressful at the moment, you might feel like, oh, I just can't get through the day without that glass of wine or going for that run. So are there any tips for people to kind of move away from those behaviours? Yeah, I think it's really important to recognise that as doctors, we typically tend to go a bit crazy with behaviour change, don't we? So we're like, right, I'm not going to drink for a month or a whole year or I'm going to, you know, only drink at the weekends or we'll, we'll set ourselves a really high target. So I would start by just being really gentle around your target. So do something that feels easy and manageable. So maybe it's about just missing one day a week to start with that first week or, you know, just lower the expectations a little bit because you're much more likely to succeed if you make little changes over time rather than try and do a big change all at once. Um, and then you're absolutely right. It's about identifying that you're probably reaching for that alcohol for a reason. 
that you're probably stressed or tired or need a hug or you know need some sort of relief from the relentlessness of your day-to-day life or something so so actually trying to identify other ways that you could meet those needs so is it that you're feeling really angry and you need to get that vent that anger by punching a few cushions or going out for a run or is it that you just need a hug you know and you need to ask your your partner or your um the person that you're allowed to be in physical contact with at the moment to give you a hug um or you know is it um that you're tired and actually just need to get an early night you know um actually just asking yourself what's this about you know what, what why am i reaching for this this drink and that's often something we don't know until we put that drink down i think it's that period of reflection as well is thinking you know what why am i having this what need am i trying to fulfill and and can i get it in a different way that's maybe a bit a bit less risky yeah because addiction is about at the very severe end it's about a very physical um physiological uh you know addiction in the body that the body kind of needs that substance or that those chemicals to be released because it's got used to them over time but actually at the earlier stages it's really much more about what we're using those behaviors to deal with i think for me being an addict is about not really finding it easy to name my emotions and how to deal with them in healthy ways and i really had to relearn how to do that you know realized i wasn't i hadn't learned you know how to feel lonely what to do when I'm lonely how to feel bored what to do when I'm bored how to feel angry you know what to do when I'm angry and that's where it was really helpful to recover alongside other recovering addicts because they were able to you know give me lots of tips and show me different ways of managing my stresses and strains without picking up that drink or reaching for another addiction I was just thinking at the moment we're all kind of living and working in slightly different circumstances than normal you know i I've been exercising more because I can. It's not an addiction, but I'm doing it more than I would normally. And I wonder if we'll see any anyone maybe when we return back to normality, whether people will struggle with that change because they've picked up habits during the lockdown that they won't be able to continue back in normal life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think we're starting to see that already. We saw it going into lockdown where people's habits had to change and we'll see it coming out of lockdown. It's like a reverse adjustment um, process and and habits are just that they're habits and they can be quite difficult to change again I would start with something really simple and easy to do so maybe if you've been less active it's not about again setting yourself a target of running five times a week but maybe just once you know in the week and again for yourself if you've been doing more exercise maybe trying to wean that down gently and gradually rather than just suddenly stopping because as human beings we don't do well with really sudden changes and it's why often with addicts they they try they realize they've got a problem say they're drinking too much and they'll try and stop completely suddenly it can be really tough because suddenly it's like whoa where's that there's a void you know of of, oh how do I deal with all this emotional this physical you know stuff coming up for me um, so yeah, just doing it quite gently and thoughtfully and maybe thinking ahead about it. So if you know you're going to be going back to work next week in a different way, maybe thinking, what am I doing this week in order to adjust ahead of time? And Caroline, I think one of the issues we hear again and again about clinicians um, and mental health problems and seeking help is it can be really hard to, to go and see a, a peer. You know, how, how do you go and talk to your own GP and admit that you are struggling with these problems and as you said with addiction that extra layer of kind of shamefulness and taboo can be another barrier so do you have advice for people who feel that they have reached a stage where they really need some support um and and how they can go about seeking help 
Absolutely. So I think it's really important to uh, try and come to a place that feels safe. Because the most important thing is that you feel you can be honest. Because it doesn't help anybody. If I went to see my doctor and I just said, no, it's fine, I'm not drinking that much, then I'm not going to get the help I need, right? I needed to be honest. I needed to say, actually, this is what's happening. Um, so I think there are some services and, and places out there that are, you know, particularly say for doctors who are experiencing um, addiction problems or think they might be so a couple I would mention there's the BDDG group that we've spoken about already that's the British Doctors and Dentists group that's a group of doctors and dentists across the UK who have all struggled with addictions so and recovering from them so you know you're not going to get any judgment there at all because all of those people have been there and know what it feels like and um, there's also the NHS practitioner health program for any doctor or dentist in England who get that you can self-refer for mental health and addiction support and again you can go to them if you're just wondering you know is this a problem or not you know I think it might be but I'm not sure it's okay to just go and have that conversation and I would just say talk to somebody you know um, somebody you trust and if you can a fellow somebody you know might have had experience or it works for one of these services where they're used to speaking to people because you won't get any judgment you will get if, if anything you will get praised you know for your courage in coming forward for help when we know it's it's difficult to do that we've talked quite a lot about alcohol but you at the beginning you touched on the fact that there are lots of different things that the doctors everyone can be addicted to and I just wonder if if someone's quite scared that maybe a substance that they're using could result in them losing their job or, you know, a sanction from the GMC if they're sort of very fearful of that kind of situation. What would your advice be for them? It's a really common fear and I'm glad you brought it up. Um, so my advice would be, again, come to one of those services that I've mentioned, NHS Practitioner Health or BDDG, because what we do, NHS Practitioner Health, for example, has a memorandum of understanding with the GMC and the GDC for dentists um, that we do not have to report doctors to them if we don't feel that it's necessary. So if we feel that somebody, yes, they might have an addiction problem, but they're getting the support they need, they're looking, you know, they're getting the treatment they need they're doing you know they're working with us proactively to get better and there's no immediate risk issues that need addressing then we won't we won't talk to the GMC so um, you know I think it's really important that you don't let that stop you from getting the help you need I mean just to, from my personal experience I, I wrote to the GMC I told them you know I'm an alcoholic I'm in recovery they wrote back to me and said thanks for letting us know that's great keep going you know you know we don't really need to know as long as you're all right and you're getting the support you need so you know they're not interested in people who are um you know actually getting treatment and support for a health problem they are they're, they're just they're more concerned about those that aren't getting that support so what i would say is come forward and get the help you need because you're more likely to get into trouble and to face the risk of losing your job if you don't get treatment and support and i know it's a bit of a kind of um old chestnut kind of situational judgment question but but what if you are concerned about a colleague or or someone like that who you know you can see is under a lot of pressure and, and maybe not coping with it in a healthy way yeah so I always recommend just trying to be quite human about that and just allow you know we as doctors and healthcare professionals are generally very compassionate people so just allow yourself to be a normal nice human being and just say you know are you okay 
are you sure you're okay you know is there anything I can do to help what's going on is there anything you want to talk about or you know just just being really nice and supportive and and maybe if you think there's an issue there just saying look I I wondered if there might be something going on look there are these great support resources out there for free and confidential support where you know you won't you know get into trouble with the GMC or the GDC here and you know just tell them about practitioner health tell them about British Doctors and Dentists group um, and if you can, I always advise, if you possibly can, sharing a little of your own vulnerability or struggle, you know, you don't have to necessarily have been an addict yourself, but just to say, you know, we've all had tough times, we've all struggled, it's okay, you know, because I think it's really important that we we just remember that we're all human beings at the end of the day, you know, we might be doctors, but we're also human beings, and we all struggle sometimes. So Caroline, I found myself in lockdown exercising more and also trying to be a bit more conscious about what I'm eating at certain times because I, at the beginning of lockdown I found that it was quite easy to turn to that bar of chocolate that I wouldn't normally have because I felt I deserved it because I'd had a hard day or you know, I've, I'll, I would run every night of the week because I help, felt that it helped me deal with the stress of work. But I just wonder, is there a point where those kind of behaviours, especially with the running that might seem like a healthy behaviour, actually become something that's not healthy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, food and exercise, again, can be things that people become addicted around and, and can be really harmful. And it's a really good question that where does a healthy behaviour become an unhealthy one or an addictive one? And and I think it's something around the, um, the consequences of the behaviour. So if you're starting to find that actually it's having harmful consequences so um you know we've i think a lot of people have been eating a little bit more chocolate in lockdown and gain maybe a couple of extra pounds but but if you're noticing that actually you're starting to sort of binge eat every night and your weight is skyrocketing up or or you're finding yourself in a punishing exercise regime where you just have to go running every single day and you have to reach a certain you know speed or distance or and it's it's like you're kind of doing that despite the fact that maybe you're having a, a bad day or you've got an injury or you know so it's about thinking okay what's the level of it here is it causing me more harm than good um and again just gently easing back on it if you can to see what happens because for most people their behaviors will have gone a bit awry a bit skew if during lockdown and actually just a gentle easing back will be enough but if you're then struggling and finding you can't because you've got trapped in this cycle of maybe binge eating or over exercising um, where it's causing you pain or discomfort or, or interfering in your life in some way then that's the time to maybe think about seeking some help and talking to someone about it. I think it's important to know that, you know, during COVID, a lot of people will have found that their behaviours have changed. And um, for many people, that will just slowly revert back to normal over time, over the coming months, um, to the, over the next year or so. But for a few people, that won't be the case, that they'll be left with a new habit or a new behaviour, for example, they're drinking more or eating more. Or, and, and that they'll find it harder to come back to stop those behaviours or to change them back again Um, and that's when they perhaps need to think about getting some help and support just to talk through you know has this become more than just a a slight habit change in response to a stressful situation has this actually triggered an underlying addictive process for them Well, that was so interesting. I thought Caroline's point around what is a healthy behaviour and then when does that turn into an unhealthy behaviour was a a really interesting point and one that I think will probably 
ring true with a lot of people because we are all behaving slightly differently during this lockdown. Absolutely, Abby. And I really like the points you made about when you are observing that your behaviours are becoming quite extreme and more than you would like, just to really gently ease that back and not put too much pressure on yourself to make a, a massive change all at once, because actually that's really challenging and we might feel like we fail. Whereas if we take these small steps like, OK, well, I'm just going to try and have one day away from this behaviour or then two days and build it up, we're much more likely to succeed. Mm, absolutely. I also thought it was really helpful for her to reiterate you know that if you get in touch with someone like the practitioner health program the GMC won't necessarily have to be involved because I imagine that's often a worry for people doctors who are experiencing addiction problems you know they worry about their work and the future of their job so I, I thought that was a really helpful point Absolutely. And I think just the idea of reaching out to anybody, you know, it doesn't have to be a formal service, but just sharing your experiences with someone. And, and she, you know, we talked about how taboo addiction is. And it reminded me of something like um, like miscarriage, which is still something that's really little talked about in, in society. But I think people find that if you do reach out to someone and say, oh, gosh, actually, the reason that I'm depressed or low or you know haven't been able to kind of focus at work is because I've had a miscarriage you suddenly hear all these stories from all these different people saying oh I've been through that I've been through that and I'm sure that there's this untapped um well I guess of addiction that's that's going around a lot of people will have had experiences that that are either kind of overtly addictive or, or borderline um and I think that support will very quickly come And on that cheerful note, (laughs) let's wrap up for now. Um, Thank you so much to Caroline Walker for coming on the podcast. You can reach her at joyfuldoctor.com and we will share the links to the NHS Practitioner Programme and the um, BDDG in the podcast text. And you can check us out on social media. We're at BMJ Latest on Twitter or you can join the BMJ Wellbeing Group on Facebook. Please let us know any ideas you might have for future issues that we can cover. Until next time, it's goodbye from us. Bye. Bye.